First Adventure, Part Two of Master Flea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfeld. Master Flea by E. T. A. Hoffman. First Adventure, Part Two. From this moment Peregrine adopted the strange life which was mentioned at the very beginning of our story. Retired from all society, he lived with his aged attendant in the large roomy house in the deepest solitude. Subsequently he let out a couple of rooms to an old man who had been his father's friend, and seemed as misanthropical as himself, reason enough why the two should agree remarkably well, for they never saw each other. There were four family festivals which Peregrine celebrated with infinite solemnity, and these were the birthdays of his father and mother, Easter, and his own day of christening. At these times Alina had to set out a table for as many persons as his father had been wont to invite, with the same wine and dishes which had been usually served up on those occasions. Of course the same silver, the same plates, the same glasses, such as had then been used, and such as they still remained, were now brought forward in the fashion which had prevailed for so many years. Peregrine kept to this strictly. Was the table ready, he sat down to it alone, ate and drank but little, listened to the conversation of his parents and the imaginary guests, and replied modestly to this or that question as it was directed to him by any one of the company. Did his mother put back her seat? He, too, rose with the rest, and took his leave of each with great courtesy. Then he retired to a distant chamber, and consigned to Alina the division of the wine and the many untasted dishes amongst the poor, which, command of her master, the faithful soul was wont to execute most conscientiously. The celebration of the two birthdays he began early in the morning, that, according to the custom of his boyhood, he might carry a handsome nosegay into the room where his parents used to breakfast, and repeat verses which he had got by heart for the occasion. On his own day of christening he naturally could not sit at table, as he had not then been long born. Alina, therefore, had to attend to everything, that is, to invite people to drink, and, in the general phrase, to do the honours of the table. With this exception, everything was the same as at the other festivals. But, in addition to these, Peregrine had yet another holiday in the year, or rather holy evening, and that was Christmas Eve, with its gifts, which had excited his youthful fancy more than any other pleasure. He himself carefully purchased the motley Christmas lights, the playthings, the sweet meats, just as his parents had presented them to him in his childish years, and then the presentation took place, as the kind reader has already seen. "'It is very vexatious,' said Peregrine, after having played with them some time. "'It is very vexatious that the stag and wild boar-hunt should be missing. Where can they be? Ah, look there!' At this moment he perceived a little box which still remained unopened, and hastily snatched at it, expecting to recover the missing treasure, but on opening it he found it empty, and started back as if a sudden fright had seized him. Strange, he murmured to himself, strange, what is the matter with this box? 
it seems as if some fearful thing sprang out upon me that my eye was too dull to grapple with alina on being questioned assured him that she had found the box among the playthings and had in vain used every exertion to open it hence she had imagined that it contained something particular and that the lid would yield only to the experienced hand of her master strange repeated peregrine very strange and it was with this chase that i had particularly pleased myself i hope it may not bode any evil but who on a christmas eve would dwell upon such fancies which have properly no foundation alina fetch me the basket alina accordingly brought a large white basket in which with much care he packed up the playthings the sweetmeats and the tapers took the basket under his arm the great christmas tree on his shoulder and set out on his way it was the kind and laudable practice of mr teese to surprise some needy family where he knew there were children with his whole cargo of christmas boxes just as he had purchased it and dream himself for a few hours into the happy times of boyhood then when the children were in the height of their joy he would softly steal away and wander about the streets half the night hardly knowing what to do with himself from the deep emotions which straightened his breast and feeling his own house like a vault in which he was buried with all his treasures this time his christmas boxes were intended for the children of a poor bookbinder of the name of lemmerhirt who was a skilful industrious man had long worked for him and whose three children he was well acquainted with the bookbinder lemmerhirt lived in the top floor of a narrow house in the kalbecher street and as the winter storm howled and raged and the rain and snow fell with mingled violence it may be easily imagined that peregrine did not get to his object without great difficulty from the window twinkled down a couple of miserable tapers with no little toil he clambered up the steep stairs knocked at the door and called out open open christmas sends his presents to all good children the bookbinder opened the door in alarm and it was not till after some consideration that he recognized peregrine who was quite covered with snow worshipful mr teese he exclaimed full of wonder how in the name of heaven do i come to such an honour on christmas eve worshipful mr teese however would not let him finish but calling out children children alert christmas sends his presents he took possession of the flap table in the middle of the room and immediately began to pull out his presents from the basket the great christmas tree indeed which was dripping wet he had been forced to leave outside the door still the bookbinder could not comprehend what it all meant the wife however knew better for she smiled at peregrine with silent tears while the children stood at a distance devouring with their eyes each gift as it came out of the cover and often unable to refrain from a loud cry of joy and wonder at last he had dexterously divided and ordered the presents according to each child's age lighted all the tapers and cried come come children this is what christmas sends you they who could yet hardly believe that all belonged to them now shouted aloud and leaped and rejoiced while their parents prepared to thank their benefactor 
but it was precisely this thanksgiving that Peregrine always sought to avoid, and he therefore wished, as usual, to take himself off quietly. With this view he had got to the door, when it suddenly opened, and in the bright shine of the Christmas lights stood before him a young female, splendidly attired. It seldom turns out well when an author undertakes to describe narrowly to the reader the appearance of this or that beautiful personage of his tale, showing the shape, the growth, the carriage, the hair, the color of the eyes. It seems much better to give the whole person at once, without these details. Here, too, it would be quite enough to state that the lady, who ran against the startled peregrine, was uncommonly handsome and graceful, if it were not absolutely requisite to speak of certain peculiarities which the little creature had about her. She was small, and indeed somewhat too small, but at the same time neatly and elegantly proportioned. Her forehead, in other respects handsomely formed and full of expression, acquired a something strange and singular from the unusual size of the eyeballs, and from the dark pencilly brows being higher placed than ordinary. The little thing was dressed, or rather decorated, as if she had just come from a ball. A splendid diadem glittered amongst her raven locks, rich point lace only half veiled her bosom, a black and yellow striped dress of heavy silk sat close upon her slender body and fell down in folds just so low as to let the neatest little feet be seen, in white shoes, while the sleeves were just long enough, and the gloves just short enough, to show the fairest part of a dazzling arm. A rich necklace and brilliant earrings completed her attire. It could not but be that the bookbinder was as much surprised as Peregrine that the children abandoned their playthings and stared with open mouths at the stranger. As, however, women in general are wont to be the least astonished at anything unusual, and are the quickest to collect themselves, so on this occasion also the bookbinder's wife was the first that recovered speech, and asked in what she could serve the lady. Upon this the stranger came fairly into the room and the frightened peregrine would have seized the opportunity to take himself quickly off, but she caught him by both hands, lisping out, in a little soft voice, "'Fortune, then, has favoured me. I have found you, then, O oh, peregrine, my dear peregrine! What a delightful meeting!' Herewith she raised her right hand so that it touched peregrine's lips, and he was compelled to kiss it, though in so doing the cold drops of perspiration stood on his forehead. She now indeed let go his hands, and he might have fled, but he felt himself spellbound, he could not move from the place, like some poor little animal that has been fascinated by the eye of the rattlesnake. "'Allow me,' she said, "'dear Peregrine, to share in this charming treat that you have so nobly and with such real goodness prepared for the children, permit me also to contribute something to it. From a little basket which hung upon her arm, and which had not been remarked till now, she took out all sorts of playthings, arranged them on the table with graceful bustle, brought forward the children, pointed out to each the present intended for him, and sported so prettily withal that nothing could be more delightful. The bookbinder thought he was in a dream, but the wife laughed roguishly, 
fancying that there must be some particular acquaintance between Peregrine and the stranger. While now the parents were wondering, and the children were rejoicing, the lady took her seat upon an old frail sofa, and drew down Mr. Peregrine, who, in fact, scarcely knew any longer whether he actually was this same person. She then gently lisped into his ear, "'My dear, dear Peregrine, how happy, how delighted I feel by your side!' "'But, lady,' stammered Peregrine, "'honoured lady!' On a sudden, heaven knows how, the lips of the stranger came so close to his, that, before he could think about kissing them, he had really done it. That, by this, he lost all power of speech is easily to be imagined. "'My sweet friend,' continued the lady, creeping up to Peregrine so closely that she almost sat in his lap, "'my sweet friend, I know what troubles you. I know what has so much afflicted your simple heart this evening. But take comfort. That which you lost, that which you hardly hoped to find again, see, I bring it to you. With this she took out a little wooden box from her basket, and gave it into the hands of Peregrine. In it was the hunting-set that he had missed on the Christmas Eve table. It would be hard to describe the strange feelings which were now thronging and jostling in his bosom. The whole appearance of the stranger, in spite of all her grace and loveliness, had yet something supernatural about it, which those who had not Peregrine's awe of woman would yet have received with a cold shudder through every vein. Of course, therefore, a deep horror seized the poor Peregrine, already in sufficient alarm, when he found the lady most narrowly informed of all that he had been doing in the profoundest solitude. Still, when he looked up, and met the glance of two bright black eyes flashing from under the silken lids, when he felt the sweet breath of the lovely being and the electric warmth of her limbs, still, with all his terror, there awoke in him the sadness of unutterable desires, such as he had not yet known. For the first time his whole mode of life, his trifling with the Christmas presents, appeared to him absurd and childish, and he felt ashamed that the stranger should know of it. But, then again, it seemed as if her gift was the living proof that she understood him, as none else on earth had understood him, and, in seeking to gratify him after his manner, had been prompted by the most perfect delicacy of feeling. He resolved to treasure up the dear gift for ever, never to let it go out of his own hands, and, carried away by a feeling which totally overpowered him, he pressed the casket to his breast with vehemence. "'Delightful!' murmured the maiden. "'My gift pleases you. Oh, my dearest Peregrine, then my dreams, my presentiments, have not deceived me.' Mr. Tease came somewhat to himself, so that he was able to say, with great plainness and distinctness, "'But, most respected lady, if I only knew to whom in all the world I had the honour, cunning man, said the stranger, gently tapping his cheeks, to pretend as if you do not know your faithful Alina. But it is time that we should leave the good folks here to their own pleasures. Accompany me, Mr. Tease. On hearing the name Alina, 
Peregrine naturally reverted to his old attendant, and he felt exactly as if a windmill were going round in his head. The Strangelina now took the kindest and most gracious leave of the family, while the bookbinder, from pure wonder and respect, could only stammer out something unintelligible. But the children made as if they had been long acquainted with her, and the wife said, Such a kind, handsome man as you are, Mr. Teese, well deserves to have so kind and handsome a bride, who even at this hour assists him in doing acts of benevolence. I congratulate you with all my heart. The strange lady thanked her with emotion, protesting that the day of her wedding should also be a day of festival to them, and then, strictly refusing all attendance, took a taper from the Christmas table to light herself down the stairs. It is easy to imagine the feelings of Peregrine at all this, on whose arm she leant. Accompany me, Mr. Teese. That is, he thought within himself, down the stairs to the carriage which stands at the door, and where the servant, or perhaps a whole set of servants, is in waiting, for in the end it must be some mad princess who— Heaven deliver me with speed from this strange torture, and keep me in my right senses, such as they are. Mr. Teese did not suspect that all which had yet happened was only the prologue to a most wonderful adventure, and had, therefore, without knowing it, done exceedingly well in praying to heaven for the preservation of his senses. No sooner had the couple reached the bottom of the stairs than the door was opened by invisible hands, and when they had got out was shut again in the same manner. Peregrine, however, paid no attention to this, in his astonishment at finding not the slightest appearance of any carriage before the house, or of any servant in waiting. "'In the name of heaven,' he cried, "'where is your coach, lady?' "'Coach,' replied the stranger. "'Coach? What coach? Did you think, dear Peregrine, that my impatience, my anxiety to find you, would allow me to come riding here quite quietly?' No. Hurried on by hope and desire, I ran about through the storm till I found you. Thank heaven that I have succeeded. And now lead me home. My house is not far off. Peregrine resolutely avoided all reflection on the impossibility of the stranger going a few steps only, tricked out as she was, and in white silk shoes, without spoiling her whole dress in the storm instead of being, as now, in a state that showed not the slightest trace of discomposure. He reconciled himself to the idea of accompanying her still farther, and was only glad that the weather was changed. The storm, indeed, had passed, not a cloud was in the heaven, the full moon shone down pleasantly, and only the keen air made the midnight to be felt. Scarcely had they gone a few steps, when the maiden began to complain softly, and soon burst out into loud lamentations, that she was freezing with the cold. Peregrine, whose blood glowed through his veins, who had therefore been insensible to the weather, and never thought of her being so lightly clouded without even a shawl or a tucker, now on a sudden saw his folly, and would have wrapped her in his cloak. This, however, she rejected, exclaiming piteously, no my dear peregrine that avails me nothing my feet oh my feet i shall die with the dreadful agony and she was about to drop half senseless as she cried out with a faint voice carry me carry me my sweet friend without more ado 
Peregrine took up the light little creature in his arms like a child, and wrapped her in his cloak. But he had not gone far with his burden, before the wild intoxication of desire took more and more possession of him, and as he hurried half-way through the streets, he covered the neck and bosom of the lovely creature who had nestled closely to him with burning kisses. At last he felt as if waking with a sudden jerk out of a dream. He found himself at a house-door, and looking up, recognized his own house, in the horse-market, when, for the first time, it occurred to him that he had not asked the maiden where she lived. He collected himself, therefore, with effort, and said, Lady, sweet, angelic creature, where is your abode? Here, my dear Peregrine, she replied, lifting up her head, here, in this house. I am your Alina. I live with you. But get the door open quickly. No, never, cried Peregrine, in horror, and let her sink down. How? exclaimed the stranger. How? Peregrine, you would reject me? And yet you know my dreadful fate, and yet know that, child of misfortune as I am, I have no refuge, and must perish here miserably if you will not take me in as usual. But perhaps you wish that I should perish? Be it so, then. Only carry me to the fountain, that my corpse may be not found before your door. Ah, the stone dolphins may perchance have more pity than you have. Woe is me! Woe is me! A bitter cold. She sank down in a swoon. Peregrine was seized with despair, and exclaiming wildly, Let it be as it will, I cannot do otherwise. He lifted up the lifeless little thing, took her in his arms, and rang violently at the bell. No sooner was the door opened than he rushed by the servant, and instead of waiting, according to his usual custom, till he got to the top of the stairs and then tapping gently, he shouted out, Alina! Alina! Light! and indeed so loudly that the whole floor re-echoed it. Oh! What? What's this? What does this mean? exclaimed the old woman, opening her eyes widely as Peregrine unfolded the maiden from his cloak and laid her with great care upon the sofa. Quick, Alina, quick! Fire in the grate! Salts! Punch! Beds here! Alina, however, did not stir from the place, but remained staring at the stranger with her, How? What? What's this? What does this mean? Hereupon Peregrine began to tell of a countess, perhaps a princess, whom he had met at the bookbinders, who had fainted in the streets, whom he had been forced to carry home, and as Alina still remained immovable, he cried out, stamping with his feet, Fire, I tell you, in the devil's name! Tea! Salts! At this the old woman's eyes glared like a cat's, and her nose was lit up with a brighter phosphorus. She pulled out her huge black snuff-box, opened it with a tap that sounded again, and took a mighty pinch. Then, planting an arm on either side, she said with a scoffing tone, Oh, yes, to be sure, a countess, a princess, who is found at a poor bookseller's, who faints in the street. Oh, I know well where such tricked-out madams are fetched from in the night-time. Here are fine tricks. Here's pretty behavior to bring a loose girl into an honest house. 
and that the measure of sin may be quite full, to invoke the devil on a Christmas night, and I, too, in my old days am to be abetting. No, Mr. Teese, you are mistaken in your person. I am not of that sort. To-morrow I leave your service. With this she left the room, and banged the door after her with a violence that made all clatter again. Peregrine wrung his hands in despair. No sign of life showed itself in the stranger. But at the moment when, in his dreadful distress, he had found a bottle of cologne-water and was about to rub her temples with it, she jumped up from the sofa, quite fresh and sound, exclaiming, "'At last we are alone! At last I may explain why I followed you to the bookbinders, why I could not leave you to-night. Peregrine, give up to me the prisoner whom you have confined in this room. I know that you are not at all bound to do so. I know that it only depends upon your goodness, but I know, too, your kind, affectionate heart. Therefore, my good, dear Peregrine, give him up. Give up the prisoner. What prisoner? asked Peregrine, in the greatest surprise. Who do you suppose is a prisoner with me? Yes, continued the stranger, seizing Peregrine's hand and pressing it tenderly to her breast. Yes. I must confess that only a noble mind can abandon the advantages which a lucky chance puts into his hands, and it is true that you resign many things which it would be easy for you to obtain if you did not give up the prisoner. But think that Alina's destiny, her life, depends upon the possession of this prisoner, that angelic creature, interrupted Peregrine, if you don't wish that I should take it all for a delirious dream, or perhaps become delirious on the spot myself, tell me at once of whom you are speaking. Who is this prisoner? How, oh, replied the maiden, I do not understand you. Would you deny that he is in your custody? Was I not present when you bought the hunting-set? Who, cried Peregrine, quite beside himself, who is this he? For the first time in my life I see you, lady. And who are you? Who is he? Dissolving in grief, the stranger threw herself at Peregrine's feet, while the tears poured down in abundant streams from her eyes. Be humane, be merciful, give him back to me. And at the same time her exclamations were mingled with those of Peregrine. I shall lose my senses, I shall go mad, I shall be frantic. On a sudden the maiden started up. She seemed much larger than before. Her eyes flashed fire, her lips quivered, and she exclaimed with furious gestures, Ah, oh, barbarian! No human heart dwells in you. You are inexorable. You wish my death, my destruction. You won't give him up. No, never, never. Wretched me, lost, lost and with this she rushed out of the room. Peregrine heard her clattering down the stairs, while her lamentations filled the whole house, till at last a door below was flung to with violence. End of the First Adventure of Master Flea